Hey, Bullseye listeners, it's Jesse Thorne. We've got a special extra treat for you. Max FunCon in California was about a month ago, and one of our special guests, in fact, the recipient of the Maximum Fun Person of the Year Award, was the great Tavi Gevinson. Um, I introduced Tavi on stage, so I'm not going to talk too much about it, but I will say she sat down with me for a Q&A at Max FunCon, and it was absolutely magical. She's genuinely one of my heroes. So let's go to the stage of Max FunCon and my conversation with Tavi Gevinson. We have a great conversation guest this morning, um, someone I really admire. And, um, you know, I've spoken to her before, and I had to prepare for my session this morning. And I felt I was feeling a little underprepared uh, for our conversation. I felt like, oh, I got kind of arrogant about this uh, just because she's so fun and, and cool. I figured I could just wing it. But then I changed my mind, but too late. And uh, so in our interview class this morning, um, we broke into teams. And so a lot of this conversation that you will hear is the product of uh, amateur and semi-professional and a few professional interviewers generating ideas for this interview in that class this morning. So I'm really excited that uh, I get to uh, steal their life force, (laughs) I guess is the best way to put it. so our, our guest this morning is, uh, she, she became a public figure as a teenager. She's not far out of her teens these days. Um, but she became a public figure uh, writing about fashion, and I guess the verb would be enacting fashion in the world, um, uh, literally as like a 13-year-old. Uh, she became uh, celebrated for her insights into fashion. She eventually translated uh, that uh, uh, acclaim, expertise, and audience into uh, uh, an upstart magazine, online magazine for teenaged girls um, that, you know, represents in a lot of ways uh, what, what we wish teenage girls could have and hopefully what teenage girls wish they could have from media directed towards them. It's... Uh, smart and insightful and really cool and fun and I think that when when she travels the world with uh, the books that they've made from her magazine which is called Rookie uh, the gatherings that happen um, when she brings those books to bookstores are sort of like uh, the this of you know 16 year old and 15 year old girls it is uh, a world of like brilliant, creative young people who uh, come together because they like really believe in something. They really believe that the world could be like a more exciting, stimulating, uh, and brilliant place. Um, Rookie Magazine has been an extraordinary success. They've launched recently a podcast, which is also an extraordinary success. Um, and uh, in addition to all of that, Tavi has. Uh, continued what had been a childhood hobby as a professional, becoming an acclaimed actor both on Broadway and in film. Um, I will say personally that when I saw her acting in a movie, I was angry because she was so good at it. Uh, It was a time when I really wanted to call no fairsies. Um, uh, But she, yeah, she she is, uh, she's a really gifted performer in addition to being such a a brilliant writer and editor. 
Um, and uh, she's somebody that uh, I she's she's been on the show before, and somebody that I'm I really genuinely admire, and I'm so proud and glad we could have here at Max Funcon. So please welcome to the stage, Tavi Gevinson. Thanks, Ralph. That was so nice. Thank you. Yeah, you're great. Thanks. Um, <laughs> that's why we invited you. Um, so, Tavi, I guess, like, uh, my, my first question is, when you were a teen, and you're mm-hmm. no longer a teen, you're, what, 20 or 21 now? 21. 21 years old. So, uh, let's all get hammered with Tavi tonight. <laughs> uh, uh, you're, you're no longer a teen, but when you were a teen and you started writing... Uh-huh. Were you happy with the media that you had the chance to consume that was targeted towards you, like the non-adult media? No. I mean, I felt like there were publications for adult, like websites or magazines, or when I was more interested in fashion, fashion magazines that I liked, but they weren't like for me. Like I was kind of peering in on someone else's world. And um, I was like, curmudgeonly um so i was fine with being like too cool for 17 or whatever i felt was doing like was so clearly made by people who were not you know going through the stuff that me and my friends were going through or who were primarily concerned with making profit um so yeah i was definitely uh not I, I had found issues of Sassy magazine from, like, the late 80s and early 90s. And that was, like, my big... I was like, this is not even about bands or um, elections or anything happening right now. Like, there was a lot about uh, the other Clinton, and but I was like, ooh. Um, but, You're like, this uh, H. Ross Perot sounds cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, like... God, I, who else would, they had like this dear boy column where they would have girls write in and, uh, but then with like advice they wanted about a guy, but then someone like Thurston Moore, Iggy Pop would answer it. Um, again, like pre Thurston Moore, um, Kill Your Idols, et cetera. But, um, I, but yeah, but I just felt like it spoke to me, even though it was from a you know for like a generation that uh were no longer teenagers and that it was really about m- not necessarily like writing about current music or figuring out what the teens are into but just being honest and not talking down and having other actual teenagers write i was uh i when i was in middle school we went on a couple of ski trips and uh, I remember very vividly the, like, 17 magazines being passed around mm-hmm. and, like, the quizzes and stuff. Right. And there, there, is something that, there is something that those magazines have a finger on. It's not about the, like, boy band stuff or whatever, like, all, all that stuff aside. There's these feelings things in those that you don't get anywhere else because they just kind of go to town like there's like you know how Reader's Digest has humor in uniform like (laughs) there's a feature like that or there was that was just like just stories of people embarrassing themselves (laughs) that like I was like 
as a 12, 13 year old, I was like, I am not allowed to like this because I'm mm-hmm. a boy and I'm very tough and very hetero. <laughs> <laughs> Which no one was buying. <laughs> that, that was a product I was selling to no buyers. Um, but also, like, this is the greatest shit ever. Like, yeah. I think there is something in media made for teens and especially teenage girls that gives some permission to just go straight to those big, scary feelings. Yeah, like melodramatic. And that's a thing. Like, even though I was, I wanted an alternative to them, I also love teen magazine like I love everything you're talking about and the ridiculousness of like you know just high school feeling like your whole world and like those stories that would just be like I moved and my chair made a sound and everyone thought I farted (laughs) and also back then like to talk about that like whoever sent that in although it was probably like an intern at the magazine writing a bunch of them right would have had to like you know, mail it in. Yeah. Um, and the effort that that would take just to be like, I didn't fart. Um, <laughs> like, I still love all of that that stuff. I seriously, like, literally, for those of you who are Jordan Jesse Go listeners, like, when we introduced Moments of Shame, I didn't do that good of a job of framing it and making it into a radio segment. But, like, that was all I Like, for 15 years, I've been thinking... I want to do a show that's just people saying the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to them. (laughs) Oh, God. I feel like um, that is also part of why, because we do probably, a a good chunk of our audience is like, I'm not your demographic, or like I I read Rookie when I was younger, and now I've grown up, but I still read it. Or they're just adults who are like, I still real like it's not for me but I read it all the time or I listen to the podcast or and I think it's because like moment feelings of shame and embarrassment uh never go away (laughs) um you I mean you've been doing rookie for a number of years now right what are we in like four uh in September it'll be six years old yeah so there you go so you were a teen when you started it Uh um how has your perspective on what it is to be a teen changed as you've become a young adult? Well, the weird thing is that, uh, I mean, I'm not that much like older than I was, but your life changes, you know, it, it does feel huge. The difference between even like 15 and 16, um, and, my life changed really drastically and I didn't go to college and I moved to New York and like most of the people I'm around are older than me. And like, I guess I became a lot more the big, the big, a lot of things feel like they've changed, even though it also feels like nothing's changed. But the biggest thing or what I've been thinking about a lot lately is that when I was younger, I was kind of protected by my own idealism and how much I was like, I just felt because it, you know, it all started when I wrote a blog when I was younger and people started taking note of that. And I was like really cynical and not trusting of adults. And with Rookie, I was like, I don't care about money. I just want people to have something good. And it's only now that I am more, it's, it is my job and I'm in the media world, like in real life and not just from my computer, um, that I realize how anomalous rookie actually is like I knew it when it started and people and other teenagers were responding to it that um 
it was, you know, it, it meant a lot to these people. But uh, now as I become only more jaded and more cynical, do I realize um, just how rare it is that people don't just want to make money. Yeah, well, um, I, mean, I think one of the things that you're describing in the media world, and it's one that I'm familiar with from, you know, owning a fashion blog myself, uh-huh. is like the online media world is built around, in 2017, is built around this one social media interaction. Yeah. Like it's built around generating a moment of intense emotion. Uh, some an intense emotion that can be generated through something as simple as a headline and a and a log line uh, that shows up on somebody's Facebook page, which mm-hmm. is you know driving a lot of you know like even NPR, it's like sixty percent of their engagement or seventy percent of their engagement comes from social media. Wow. And um, and that is a very different interaction than the kind of than the kind of interaction that I feel like you are trying to drive for. Mm-hmm. Rookie, which is much more about a relationship between the publication and the reader and the readers and each other to some extent. Yeah, I mean, I the things that really um, made me excited about life and the world when I was younger and kind of had my secret life online, um, which then became like not really secret, but, you know, I read there were people I was like obsessed with and I read their blogs every day and it didn't matter what it was about. I just cared about them and their voice or their personal style. And I think, and with rookie, I'm really glad that we're able to, um, uh, like try to actually nurture writers and not just ask them to write, um, kind of like, clickbaity or just more frivolous things just because the publication needs the kind of engagement you're talking about like it's really obviously everyone right now is worried about journalism and media and art and literature and um I I just try to like whenever I feel kind of nihilistic or I feel overwhelmed I really just try to go back to like a one-on-one interaction with a writer and what it's like to learn more about them or help them or read all of their stuff. And um, it, it just feels like a more personal way of... Because, you know, there's like this vo- this really ubiquitous voice on the internet that all these headlines are written in now that's like kind of pseudo-informal. And it's so manipulative and it makes you feel like you're kind of like people are just chatting and people are just friends. But then it's actually something incredibly inane, like five times, like, um, God, uh, <laughs> can't even think. Like, you're not going to believe what this rat ate. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, basically. But then the rat is like Sean Penn or something. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I don't care about Sean Penn, but yeah. So how do you decide? I mean, I think at a lot of the most successful new media companies, they are driven by a a relatively close connection between simple metrics Mm -hmm. and the content generation. So like editors are looking at what kind of thing do people want to look at? Writers are looking at 
I've been assigned this story. How do I put it in a way that people want to look at it? And people want to look at it here being defined in part as people clicking on it in social media, right. uh, which is where a lot of the audience is coming from. Um, so how do you define success uh, if you are not doing it through that simple of, uh, well, mm-hmm. 100,000 clicks, you get an extra $100? Right. Yeah, there have been many. So as I've kind of, uh, like at times felt like I've inherited this like passion project from when I was younger and, you know, like my parents were really supportive and they were, uh, you know, we were not in a position where they were like, okay, like, uh, strike while the iron is hot and try to just like monetize whatever you can. They were real. They wanted it to stay. And, you know, we were able to keep it this way, but they wanted it to stay fun for me. And I definitely have very intense moments of like, Oh, I wish like I had been more business minded. I wish I had sought out more guidance in that area. I wish I hadn't uh, done, you know, like you said, I do acting and I love doing it a lot. But if you do a play for six months, that's your like, and then you come back to the internet and everything's changed. And it's, I really have to be like, um, the, so the, you know, it's frustrating. It's not, uh, it's easy to, even in the, what with the like boxes I've been able to check off or whatever, like I often, just because it's so hard to run an independent publication can feel like a failure. And I, but thankfully like my definition of success and like the way I was raised and the people who've mentored me and the people I admire uh it is more about like the you know things fade um it's so funny just how much of even like with acting how much of a crapshoot is where you're like oh this thing sounds like it'll be really everyone like on paper this should be something that's really successful and it's really not or the opposite like everything basically fades and you just have to do the things that you love doing while they're happening but the things what doesn't fade is actually if you've made a change in another human being so when we have our book signings and someone's like, oh, the, I read that article when I uh, was going through a really hard time and it convinced me to get treatment. Or, you know, there, we've heard that from so many people now and it's a testament to our writers and our whole community and the other readers and the way they make each other feel. And uh, not to, like, self-martyr <laughs> because I, you know... There are other things I pursue that are way more just about uh, uh, vanity and money. But um, because I have to, because I'm, you know, like totally independent. Um, But that is like how we define it. And also like the, you know, influencing people who maybe not being something that like every single teenager reads, because I don't know if that thing even exists now that would just be like Snapchat but um just but being something where like you know someone comes up 
a new songwriter or writer or actor or artist or someone I really I admire and then they say like oh I've been reading Rookie since I was a kid basically so can you, I, can you give me an example of that Lord um Amanda Stenberg uh Rowan Blanchard uh these like young uh artists who are also activists and who also really care about things and somehow you know and have these giant followings because they're like they're in a franchise or they're on this disney show but they are like the opposite of you know whatever you that would have meant like even five years ago and they're getting all these really young impressionable people who follow them to care about the world and then they'll be like oh rookie is how i found out what feminism was and i'm like oh that is it's all like you just kind of have to I'm just like just keep doing what you like and what you think is good and like it all kind of comes out in the wash I one of the things that I struggle to understand about your career and your path is that (laughs) having come out of fashion world like that you became uh, you became a public figure and uh, you know a famous person to a group of people in the world of fashion, which is a world that like, and I say this as somebody that like really cares about it and works in it in a way, um, like has like a higher snake to decent person ratio. (laughs) (laughs) Almost anything else, just like so many venal monsters. You know what I mean? So like, how did you find, how did you, and you were like, you weren't just, you weren't just, uh, you know, you weren't just dealing with uh, having to interact with those people on kind of like a casual basis. You were like the target of a lot of it. Like, yeah. you know, there was a lot of like uh, meanness about you being a teenager and all this different shit for every mm-hmm. bit of uh, uh, for every bit of like support and launching that you got for being talented and interesting. <laughs> um, so who were the people that you found in that? when you were a teenager besides your folks who you who really you know supported and guided you through this and you're kind of lucky to have parents who were like teachers and got it um yeah to some extent but like who were the people that you met who had values that were more than just let's trick people into thinking they need this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is like 70 percent of fashion yeah um or let's trick people into thinking they'll live forever or like yeah Yeah. I know it's um I mean it's kind of a gift to like get get to gather enough evidence early on that like no one knows what they're talking about nothing matters (laughs) um even like and I maybe and that probably goes for a lot of industries like I was just my friend reads a lot of like you know 80s Hollywood producer memoirs about like taking meetings and doing a lot of coke and like (laughs) I forget whose it was but he was like oh one of them he just keeps being like remember no one knows anything about anything (laughs) like that's like the catchphrase um and so that's like you know it can make you cynical but then also is a gift because you're like oh I can just do whatever I want and um and I don't need to be 
liked by thousands of people I'll never meet in real life. I just want like three to five friends I actually like being in a room with. And then if anyone else is into this, cool. Um, so, I mean, my parents are amazing and like fashion was not their world. My dad uh, taught English at my high school and my mom is a textile artist who weaves tapestries about Judaism and Leonard Cohen. And, um, I mean, to be fair, that could be argued as a sort of mom version of Rookie. (laughs) (laughs) Like making a tapestry about Leonard Cohen is like the 60-year-old's version of... Like fandom, extreme fandom. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, and my dad, like, we years into Rookie even being a thing, he was like, oh, did I ever tell you that I started a journal writing class at your high school in the 80s? Yeah, yeah, I had a book proposal. I took their journals. I made a book proposal called Being 17. It was like the diaries of real teens. And back then there was no internet, so you really didn't know what teenagers were going through or thinking. And he showed me the proposal, and of course it didn't, you know, it wasn't published but I was like, oh, I'm you. Um, <laughs> genetics and nurture nature. I get it. Um, He's a nice dude. He came the first time you were on the show. He came. It was real nice. So He says hi, by the way. Oh, great. But I told him I was here. Awesome. <laughs> he was like, he, Jesse Thorne, say I'm, hello. I'm pretty sure he got in the rocket ship. Didn't he get in the rocket ship? He did. Yeah. Yeah. Like with it turned on, too. Like. Yeah. Still have yeah. that video somewhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, like. So those are my parents, and then, but I also, and you know, obviously they were kind of like, um, oh, uh, we should make sure, like, if this, if all this is happening, or if people are trying to, like, uh, suckle the youth out of you, we should at least make sure, like, you save some money and you can go to college, if, like, if that's what comes out of all of this, great. But they were never pressuring me into doing something that felt, that made me feel uncomfortable. Um, I guess, and then in fashion, I mean, there were the girls who do Rodarte, Kate and Laura Malavi, they're like, they became designers because I think one of them was an art history major. One of them was an English major. And then they both were just like watching horror movies for months and living with their parents. And then I think they were like, we should just be fashion designers. And they bought, they sold a crazy record collection to buy a Chanel dress and then cut it up so they could see how it was made. And then, like, they sent their first lookbook to magazine instead of, like, doing a photo shoot and sending this little book. They made, like, paper dolls and made little versions of their clothes. And they were just, like, and they live in Pasadena. And they emailed me when I was uh, 13. And they were, like, we, you know, we love your blog or whatever. And And so I met them and I still see them to this day. Um... And but they are people who were like you know you and and all of the their friends who they have always worked with and the people they keep around them it's like you enter that world and it's I it was very clear like focus on what you like doing and like people do suck or but or and like it's all political but that's not you can't be consumed by that and um uh I also like you know the first. Uh, like snarky thing that was written about me a woman emailed me named Laya Garcia and was like (laughs) you and was like oh don't listen to them like 
it's all bullshit, whatever. And like, keep doing you. And we stayed friends for years. And now she, I mean, she's my best friend and, and at home. And like, I think we're all disappointed that you didn't just call out the person that wrote the shitty thing. Oh, <laughs> I don't mind. Um, yeah, no, I, it was, ju- it, it was... just seemed like you were. And then it turned out you were oh. calling out the person who was nice to you. <laughs> Became your friend. We <laughs> um, demand conflict narratives. <laughs> yeah, I did not become friends with that yeah. person. <laughs> I mean, it what it is super weird to be like thirteen and be like, uh, and someone be, like, and people think of you as like a polarizing figure. It's but they're like, also I, like not people. Like they're not people I was ever gonna meet. And if I did, which sometimes happened, it's like they're awkward or they're going through a lot in their head and I like don't even know and I'm going about my life. Um, It seems like one of the, one of the threads that you're talking about in terms of this adolescence that you spent in the fashion industry is that in, in a way, because the fashion industry is so weird and venal and is so much about kind of uh, spur of the moment, self justifications Mm -hmm. um, that the fact that you, met and interacted with the people who were making art in that context um, or at the bare minimum making craft. Um, okay, I'm going to rephrase that so I'm not placing art below craft. but like, <laughs> Or alternately m- doing craft, like genuinely brilliant craft. Mm. You know, like I, I, have, I have a friend who makes shoes and it's the most amazing thing in the world. Yeah. You know, like to be able to do that is the most astonishing skill that I can't even imagine. I have no skills. So... <laughs> To meet people like that in a way, like the lesson that it seems like you took from that in part was, well, it's okay that the world is bullshit and there's no rules (laughs) because in a way that opens a lane to do something that has meaning because there's no rule against that. Yeah. I mean, and also that like you can do a lot of it just for yourself too. I mean, I didn't really think twice about the fact that I created a blog that was, like, public. And I also had a diary. But, you know, I do, I'm do. i a performer. I have that in me. I want an audience. But, uh, like, one thing that happened was after that mean piece of press. I'll just say it. I mean, who cares? Um, but it was, uh, like, my dad um, gave me a short story... I forget who wrote it, but it's called Claudine's Book, and it's about a girl who's 12. And uh, her stepmom or her aunt finds her diary, and it's, like, very, you know, insightful for her age and, and gets it published. And then there's all this press, and they're like, she's not really doing it herself, which is what people were saying about me. Um, and the aunt ta- and all these reporters come to her home, and the aunt takes credit for it. And Claudine just lets her do that. Because she's like, I don't know, so unaffected by it or just kind of misses the privacy she had. And it ends with her whistling a victory march and going back up to her treehouse. Um, and I think that was my, my dad's way of being like, you can walk away at any, like, at any time and you can do things just for you. Did your dad, the high school English teacher, answer all emotional questions in the form of a short story? <laughs> <laughs> Like family family meeting, we've got some big shit going on, and we're gonna need a new reading list. <laughs> oh, that's 
That's a really good point. <laughs> What's it like now for you as a grown adult who like does actual things in the world uh, to have so much of who you are when you interact with somebody who doesn't know you personally already defined by stuff that you did when you were 13? Um, I, I think if I'm already feeling a little insecure or socially anxious or something, that's something that comes up, especially if I'm around people like at a fashion thing where someone would have prior knowledge. But most of the time I wouldn't really assume that they do. Um, and I just can't, you like, you can't try to know what you don't know or try to be psychic even though I've tried. Um, so I have, I think I've found a way to just stop trying to read people's minds and just, like, talk to them. Um, yeah. I, I we, we had an interviewing class just now, and I played this clip from this conversation that I had with uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, uh, who's, a, for folks who don't know, is a best-selling writer. She wrote Eat, Pray, Love is her best-known book. She recently wrote a book called Big Magic, um, and uh, she's a uh, hosts uh, uh, Magic Lessons, a Max Fun podcast. And I asked her about like you know, Eat, Pray, Love was such a gargantuan phenomenon that her entire world was defined by people who had people who hadn't even read Eat, Pray, Love having expectations of who she was. Right. Um, and I I framed it as a certain kind of white lady. And then she defined it more specifically based on her lived experience of what people thought of her. And the thing that she said that I, I was so stunned by was she was like, I realized the only person who like really has an understanding of the totality of my experience is me. And it's unreasonable for me to expect others to have that understanding of the totality of my experience. Mm-hmm. There's no way for them to have that understanding of the totality of their experience. And like essentially when they make presumptions about me, it's I I can't responsibly take it as an attack upon me right. when it grows out of the fact that they necessarily know less about me than I do. Mm-hmm. And there's not much that I can do to, quote-unquote, defend myself <laughs> other than to offer some other, you know, I can offer some other vision of who I am or what I have to offer to the world, but even as a defense, it's an ineffective defense. You can only do it as an offering, essentially. Right. And I was like, so I remember her saying that to me. And, you know, when she says shit, she means it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, no matter what she, I mean, she could read you the uh, a Chinese uh, restaurant menu and you'd just be like, yeah, mushu pork. <laughs> uh, but, um, but that was like, a, that was a really powerful idea yeah. For me, that like, oh, right, they're, they don't know who I am. They have this tiny piece of who I am, the tiniest piece of who I am. And when they talk about who I am, they're talking about themselves because right. they have a really big version of what they are. And so I can't control who they are, and all I can do is offer something else. Yeah, I mean, my, you, I'm, my, my therapist says, um, but she's like, the only people who are going to know you are the people who are in a room with you year after year. And like... Other than that, you know, people have opinions, positive or negative, just based on, like, whatever information is out there. But but it's like there are little avatars of me, but that's totally different from, like, you know, 
actually being that person. And I also think that, you know, I was talking about this with, um, uh, Jeff Tweedy. Let me pick up that. Um, but like, uh, but it, uh, that like helps the story if you know that he said it. Cause he was talking Are about. Are you a hundred percent sure you don't want to save that name dropping for talk show, the game show tonight? Oh yeah. <laughs> Cause I believe that's a five point thing to, to really? drop a name. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. If you can work in a plug for your current project, you could double uh. that to 10. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll spend all afternoon thinking about that. Um, but yeah, no, but I was talking about it with him because I we're both from Chicago and I was friends with his son, uh, growing up and like, um, he was like, well, you're only, you're not supposed to connect with all humans. Like there's a ceiling on how many people are going to like and get what you're making. And then after that, after that ceiling, like, there are going to be all these people who feel like they have to weigh in on what you're doing because they think they keep hearing about you. Of course, they don't have to do anything, but um, it's not, like, for them, so it, it's you're, they're not going to get it, and that's fine. Um, but, yeah, I, I also, and to that point, I also think, like, just the way people take in other people on the internet, it's, like, such a fantastical almost narcissistic thing like when have I felt the most strongly about someone I don't know who I'm just looking at on the internet gee um maybe when I've been like uh my most depressed or uh lonely or insecure or frustrated with my own if I'm stagnant in some way about something I want to do and then of course like if that person or project or thing that I already have a lot of opinions about maybe without even being very familiar with it comes up in conversation with another person, I, I like it puts a floor beneath me, and you, I'm like, oh right, like that, you know, whatever I was thinking about it just has a lot more to do with what's going on in my life right now. I mean, it's the same with criticism. Like, if I mean, actual like film criticism or art criticism, where I think it's most useful when people are just trying to work out what kind of art they want to make. Um, and or in some ways the ways that art uh art is useful to them or affects their own lives and their own trajectory which is different for every person yeah i mean that's why i like criticism that is really personal and where the person isn't trying to erase some kind of bias that's inevitably there um but i don't know i have a friend who's is like, you know, it's really cool that you can be a way for young people to figure out what they do and don't like. And um, and he's like, you know, when I was in film school, like me and my friends all would hate on Wes Anderson and have really strong opinions because we were just figuring out what we wanted to make. And then and now it's like, oh, he's doing his thing. Like, that's not going to be any more le- like that is just his what's inside his head. Um, I, don't know. I heard that you are a list maker. Mm-hmm. What kind of lists do you make? Um, ah, where do you hear that? <laughs> I heard it in my interview class. Some of the, <laughs> one of my research assistants dug that shit up. Really? Oh, I'll do a list of like, um, you know, a type of person I'm, uh, trying to learn from at the moment. That's a weird list. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I support it, but I expected you to say groceries or whatever. Oh, I mean, yeah, but that's well, kind of obvious, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the last thing was like, um, are you familiar with Kobe Bryant's Muse Cage? Is anyone? So. Wait, so what is Kobe Bryant's Muse Cage? Oh, my God. It's. <laughs> so, the past couple of years, what he's been doing is making a children's show. Um, sorry, children's web series. Um, Kobe Bryant, the basketball star. Yes. Okay. It Black takes, Mamba. Yeah, there's a self, puppet. Self, self-proclaimed. There's a puppet named Mamba. Uh-huh. Um, kind of phallic. Um, it we're takes, talking about We're talking about Vino. He's called that because he gets better with age. Another, oh. another nickname he gave himself. Continue. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously not... Like, I don't know if I'd ever want to be in a room with that person, but I... He... he um, so it, it takes place in Canvas City. There's, like, top-notch animation. It's kind of like Mr. Rogers, but it's Kobe Bryant talking about artistic process. And... <laughs> Kind of like thinking that because something works for him, it'll work for everyone. Um, But in a way, so he talks about your muse cage um, and he's explaining it to Mamba and he's like, yeah, the muse cage is where you keep all of the thoughts and your muses. Um, Like there's a, there are happy musings, like I'm the best, I'm going to win. And then there are dark musings and it's like you're a failure like it gets it gets really dark for a moment um but he's like but then you take those musings and you you turn them into fuel and um and then there's like an animation of a train uh like chugging along and turning metaphor kobe yeah (laughs) anyways um you should just watch it and you should also read his uh op-ed about his muse cage and how Alan Iverson is in it and how he he's like he's like I went to the coasts and watched how sharks prey on one another it's also that like celebrity op-ed thing where every sentence is its own paragraph um it's so so okay I was like oh this is a good way of channeling my rage and um um, so I, like, for a while I had a list of people like that, and, like, another one was, like, uh, not, like, my Allen Iversons, but people like Kobe, where you're just, like, stunned by the confidence, and one, um, like, have you seen the Eagles documentary? No, but I've heard it's really amazing. I, I actually, I watched the documentary now parody of it. Yeah. <laughs> and f- felt like I was really missing something. Oh, man. It's so good, but but in the in the Eagles one, Bill Hader's character in that, so he's like the asshole. Yeah. In the real one, both of them are Bill Hader. Right. And you're like, how did you ever work together? Because they're both just such alphas. But I but after I saw it, I was like, wow, you just have to have the entitlement, confidence, a like. Um, a, I don't know, just stunning entitlement of, like, Don Henley. Um, or any other white man. Yes. <laughs> In America. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll make my living with a public radio show I make in my house. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean... People will care about my interviews with obscure comedians. But, like, they do. Yeah. I do. Or the, the confidence of, like, a... um. I mean, when I started my blog, I was, like, definitely... St- you know how people talk about how girls, like, reach a point where they become when you actually hit adolescence you become really insecure i basically was like a late bloomer so when i started all of that i was still a kid and uh i think that's part of like why i was able to do any of it right Um, you had you kind of blundered you kind of blundered into that world with the confidence of a child that you didn't have any expectation that there were mm -hmm. limitations on what you could do and only that sort of momentum carried you through that adolescent downturn of, oh, everyone hates me and everything I do, and if I try and do anything, it's going to be a failure and gonna, I'm not going to get invited to the dance. Right. Yeah, no, instead I got that once I was already yeah. a public figure or whatever. Um, but yeah, um, but now so you're that's a, real, a list I had. Now you're a real black mamba, right? I try to be, yeah. I'm just, a to- just the stare. I'm a total vino. <laughs> better with age. Uh, I hope Nick Weiger isn't here for me talking for us talking shit about his personal hero Kobe Bryant. Oh, <laughs> his personal. I mean, God. it's not shit. Everyone should watch this weird video. Well, I mean, one of the things that you learn from somebody like Kobe Bryant or somebody like Don Henley or whatever is that to some extent those extraordinarily successful people are extraordinarily successful because they're insane. Yeah. Um, and that that's not a life you want. Right. Um, like, I correct. think, I genuinely think that, like, a big problem with America is that we teach people that they can be anything. Yeah. Uh, when, in fact, they should just, we should be teaching people to, like, uh, have children and like them. <laughs> You know, <laughs> or like, or other fulfilling things. Enjoy right. reading or something like yeah. things that are accessible to everyone. Because only insane people have the combination of foolishness mm-hmm. and obsession that leads to Kobe Bryant success. Like you right. can you Ugh. can be a functional person and have like uh, I, I don't know like. Uh, uh, like Audie Cornish host of Morning Edition level success. Like she's very <laughs> driven, but like she's like a she can live in and but but to be uh would uh, to be Dan Rather, you may have to be an insane person. You know what I mean? Like or at least a, or at least a miserable person. <laughs> or you're just one of those people that like is just like gets a boat and is like yeah fuck you I've got a boat and just loves it. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, oh, my friend just interviewed him and said that he was like, I just heard this quote. I don't remember who said it, but it was something like, be thankful for tomorrow, look forward to the future, but the present is a gift. And I was like, oh my God. Like, you, c- there are no rules. Um, <laughs> But, um, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I know. I'm very, I'm interested in that. I think there are a lot of, 
factors. But I also think, I mean, it is, that's also why I feel, I like feel confused by how much people at a certain level, like then they just have to, in order to be sympathetic, they have to be like relatable. And so then that's the whole thing of like, um, I wonder if there are talk show game show points for like, talking about how much you love cheeseburgers <laughs> like but that but like you see someone like that is then it's like you'll be unlikable if you're especially if you're a woman or if you're like super famous and you don't act like oh shucks but then you're like wait this is fucked up why am i like like you're not me. You have so much more money than me. Like that ma- that's a, makes a huge difference in life and in the way the world works. And I mean, not that that's like the only thing that is going on, but um, that's yeah. I don't know. I am very interested in like how important someone's personality becomes at that level when it's like you're never gonna. All of it is performance. You're never gonna know that person. Sometimes I'm. I think about how much I like how part of Martha Stewart's deal is she's like, yeah, fuck you. I got horses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm good at this shit. <laughs> she also made like a diss recipe about <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? I like, tell you this. There's this there's this rich gang song called Javinci. <laughs> and um on the intro, uh Baby, who's maybe the most I'm not I don't want you guys to think I'm endorsing Baby as a human being because I believe he may be the genuine personification of the devil on earth. <laughs> <laughs> and the most vacant eyed monster in the world. But there's this part where he goes, Yeah, you know how we do. Marble floors, gold toilets and shit. And like, I'm like, yeah, that's not relatable. I'm into that. Right. Fucking, this dude got rich and he's like, yeah, I'm getting a gold toilet. Yeah. Anyway, I like yeah. that. I like that better than Donald Trump eating KFC, I guess I'm saying. Right. I got, yeah. Though Donald Trump may also have a gold toilet. For sure. Okay, well, let's, let's get, yeah. let's get, um, Let's get let's get down to brass tacks because we're almost out of time. I guess one of the questions that I have is you've had the biggest questions I have is you've had these three incredible careers as a twenty one year old, right? You had uh, you've had you've had a remarkable acting career. Um, you've had a remarkable uh, publishing career as a uh, you know as the publisher of a magazine, and you had this. Uh, bizarre and amazing career in fashion as a fashion writer and person that goes to fashion shows or whatever it is that it is to have a career in fashion I still don't understand Um, anyway these three crazy things but you're also 21 years old like um, do you think that you will be happy if you're or comfortable if you're 40 and you're like a like a greengrocer or something like <laughs> something super regular or even just like if you just like are like a person that works at a magazine if magazines mm-hmm. still exist i guess a space magazine or <laughs> like I'm, do you think do you think that given all this crazy shit that you've done by, by 21 that like if you have a normal life you could you could manage that in a like emotionally 
Um, it's the kind of thing that I would not that I've. I don't think it's actually useful in any way for me to think about that. Uh-huh. Like, it's the only thing that would come up in this setting. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't... It's so, like, one foot in front of the other, one day at a time. I I know that I find myself, you know, craving something that feels a little more like uh, how it felt to come home from school. I'm like, oh, maybe I want to make if I have to choose one job right now, it's something where, like, I come home at the end of the day and I feel like I have a, a home life and uh, it's not, like, you know, my work is not being social or anything like that. I, I mean, it's... You're 15 years ahead of me on that one. I just figured <laughs> that shit out. <laughs> my third child, I'm like, maybe I should be emotionally present at home. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's, like, easier said than done. Like, I'm also a rat like I'm all like I'm and a performer and I um like shiny things and I think part of it is also like you know when I was younger I was so worried about becoming to there's so many narratives about people who become successful young and then and also interviewers would be like uh do you worry that you're gonna kill yourself <laughs> like, like oh, that happens to a lot of prodigies and I was just like Oh, you think you're... I mean, I... Uh, so, I, you know, when I was younger, probably one of the lists of people I admired was, like, Henry Darger and J.D. Salinger and, like, recluses who did it just for themselves. And, you know, more recently, I'm like, you have ambition. Uh, there are people who... And that's not, like, bad. And, like, I just interviewed George Saunders for our podcast, and he was like burn through every desire you have so you can find out what's on the other end, if it really makes you happy, if it's what you really want. Um, And in, like, the work that I do, things that can be more frivolous or just vain or whatever uh, make it possible to do the things I really care about that make no money. So I don't even remember what you asked me, but I guess (laughs) I... Whether you'd be cool with being a greengrocer, if that's how it works out. I mean, what am I doing in my free time? Am I writing in my free time? Maybe it'd be nice. (laughs) Yeah, I, um, I, I guess, um, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, for better, for worse, I've always been an ambitious person. I think that it's um I don't know. I need more details. Like where am I living? <laughs> What's in season? Yeah. Like is it Can I be a television greengrocer? Right. Basically that's my dream career. To go on the guy that goes on local news and says what's in season. Like yeah. I'd give it all up right now. <laughs> She'd be like, Cherimoyas. Right. <laughs> Known as the custard apple. <laughs> um, Tommy, I, yeah. have, I, I, guess my, I guess my real question based on your answer is, should both of us just dedicate our lives to asking George Saunders stuff? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That was amazing. 
Oh my gosh. Oh, he's so wise. So wise. Oh, that oh. was another list I had. Famous Buddhists. Yeah. George Saunders, RuPaul, Philip Glass. Tina Turner. Really? Yeah. Gary Shanling. Yep. Um, this is a dope list. I know. You're like, I think they know something, but I'm never going to meditate in my life. So then no, again, you. if we came up with a list of famous Episcopalians, that shit would be pretty dope, too. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of Episcopalians. Like, like who? Really pick and choose. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's like less public, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. No, good stuff, good stuff. Um. <laughs> well, Tavi, uh, on that important note, <laughs> Folks are hungry. They got to eat lunch. Thank yeah. you so much for taking all this time to talk Thank with you. us. Tommy Gevinson, ladies and gentlemen. The great Tommy Gevinson. She hosts the Rookie podcast and edits Rookie magazine. She is also an actress. She's in the upcoming movie Person to Person. She's actually a distressingly good actress. I wish that there was something that she wasn't good at. Actually, you know what? She told us a story at Max FunCon that was in a different event than this one about how she was dancing with Beyonce one time and Jay-Z made fun of her dancing. So that's sort of something she's not good at. Although the point where you get to be dancing with Beyonce, it doesn't really matter how bad at dancing you are. You're still king of the world. Anyway, thanks for listening. You can catch video of this on the MaxFun YouTube channel along with video of some other cool stuff uh, at MaxFunCon, including a great presentation from... Uh, the folks who created the hilarious website Reductress. Um, so go check that out. <laughs>